Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within. I am your host, Elaine miller Karras. And the name of today's show is Resilience, a doorway to compassion and a more equitable society. My guest is Dr. Michael Carlin. He is the co-author of Compassion Integrity Training, a secular ethics approach to cultivating personal, social, and environmental flourishing. Michael will illuminate us about the innovative program that also has been adopted by UNESCO, Mahatma Gandhi Institute of Education for Peace and Sustainable Development, M-G-I-E-P. I'll refer to it in the future because that's a big, that's a mouthful, Michael, to say that all at one time. And Michael Carlin is an assistant professor of psychology at Life University in the Positive Human Development and Social Change Department and the associate director of the Life University Center for Compassion, Integrity, and Secular Ethics. Carlin received his PhD in Religious Studies and a graduate certificate in Jewish Studies from Emory University in 2014. His dissertation, which sounds so interesting, and I hope you'll illuminate a little bit about that today with us, um, is an ethnographic study of two Jewish life coaching programs that blend psychology, religion, and contemplative practice in order to provide resources with which individuals can construct moral selves and heal psychological wounds. And Michael is also the founder and the president of the Mythic Imagination um, Institute, a nonprofit dedicated to the interdisciplinary study of myth and ritual and how it functions in daily life. Um, he served as the chairman of the executive board of the Alliance for a New Humanity, an international nonprofit organization founded by two Nobel Peace Prize winners and Deepak Chopra that attempted to address pressing international issues by bridging the spheres of politics, economics, and religion. And there's more. I have to say this about you. Um, you're an active real estate investor and co-founder of Security First National Bank, the world's first internet bank, and S1 Corporation, uh, once the world's leading provider of financial portal solutions. And I ha- I'm going to add this one. It wasn't in the bio that you sent to me, but you're also a certified community resiliency model teacher. So, Michael, welcome. So, I actually, as- I, that's a good point. I need to add that. <laughs> I know. I just had to add that to, to this wonderful, you know, brief bio about you. But, you know, as we're starting today, what is on your mind as we begin? Well, uh, let me say a couple of things before I start, which is, first of all, thank you for that wonderful introduction. You're welcome. S- second of all, I hope the internet's stable. We've been talking for a while now, and it's been perfect, and then all of a sudden, it started uh, you know, chopping up a little bit. So, hopefully, it'll all work out just perfectly. You know, the, sometimes the gods of the internet have their own uh, way to, to be, so we'll just have to see. So, let's hope. Well, well I'll say, and I'll speak more about this later, but this is why we learn the crim skills, right? So that we, <laughs> yes. can handle, we can handle stress and things that we may not be prepared for. But, um, so, what's on my mind? I, you know, it's interesting. I think one of the things that's on my mind uh, really every day right now is, is the need for ongoing practice. 
and that if we're really going to have the impact that we want to have on the world, whether it's uh, with resiliency skills like we incorporate with CRIM, whether it's in cultivating greater self-compassion, compassion for others, or ultimately in creating more just and equitable systems, we have to do this on a daily basis. It, it can't be just something where you go to a training for a weekend or a week or 10 weeks, whatever it is, and then you've you've like downloaded it all and you've transformed. The, the real transformation happens in the, in the small daily practices that you do. And so the thing that we've been, you know, we focused for, for many, many years on developing the curriculum and the training and facilitator training. Now we're really, really emphasizing that ongoing practice and, and how do we create ways to enable people to have access to practice and and to integrate it into their lives, because I think that's where the magic happens. Well, I think that also practices are wide and varied. There's some that you need to have a quiet space so that you can have time for self-reflection, for prayer and meditation. And then I think there's the other kinds of practices that we can integrate into the activities of daily living that we might be able to access our well-being in um in, in, a, in a faster way, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, and so, but I think we need both. And and I know that um, with the compassion integrity training that you have really combined a lot of different practices in order for people to kind of enhance, enhance their, their bandwidth of the kinds of things that can help them. So yes. um, I, I would, I want to talk more about the CIT training, but there is one, there's a couple of questions I want to ask you. And, you know, a, a lot, many people don't understand what the word secular means. What's, what is it, what does it mean that the CIT is based on a secular approach? Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you asked me that. Um, I didn't even provide that in advance. So I'm glad you just, so secular, the way we understand it is really welcoming and all inclusive. It just means that we're not taking one particular religious stance or another, that the practices and skills that we're teaching don't come from any one tradition or another. We, we base it on a model of secular ethics, which is that everything that we teach can be grounded in common sense, common experience, and science. So common sense is just you know, when you th- talk to someone and say, would you be happier if you had more gratitude in your life? Would you be, would you feel better if you could stay resilient in, in more stressful situations and dealing with the kinds of things you're doing? So that's kind of a common sense. The common experience is we all, for example, have an autonomic nervous system, as you talk about a lot. We all respond to stress. We may respond somewhat differently, but we have basic ways of responding to stress that are programmed into our bodies. And so that's a common experience that no matter what religion we are, we can share that. And then finally, a science where we can look at what are the effects, and and this is expanding, our ability to do this is expanding more and more every day, which is what are the the actual effects of practicing these skills, like the skills in, in CRIM or like the skills in CIT. So the metaphor that we love to use, and and the Dalai Lama has suggested this metaphor, is like the metaphor of water and tea. So secular ethics is the water, right? We all need water. We all need it to survive. It's kind of, it, and it flows through everybody. But then there's tea, and some people like tea. Some people don't like tea. There's various kinds of tea. So as he says, you know, tea is very important in his life, right? He's a, a Buddhist monk, uh, obviously a very high monk, yes. but he's a Buddhist monk. And and so that's his flavor of the water that he 
is living every day, and that's great, but he wants to be able to find that water that connects all of us. So when we say secular, we're really looking at it from that perspective so that we have people who have taken CIT who are um, people who are atheists, people who are practicing Muslims, Christians, Jews, every flavor of religion all across the world. But it seems the amazing thing is everybody seems to connect with what we're talking about because it is so common. And so the practices in CIT can be integrated in your in your spiritual and religious practices, um, and really, what you just you mentioned many practices. So yes. it, it's so then it becomes like water is universal, and that we need water for survival. So 100%. you know, yes, and and so the other question that I have to start out with too is, I've been asking my guests their definition of the word resilience, um, and so could you share with us what how you would define resilience as you refer to it within your CIT training? Absolutely. Um, and being a crim teacher, having been trained by you, it's a little intimidating. Uh, to, <laughs> so, well, but I, I will say that. <laughs> we, we generally talk about resilience as um, multifold. One is the ability to bounce back from adversity and not just bounce back in many cases, but actually to have post-traumatic growth, to be able to kind of use those kinds of experiences in, able, in order to be able to grow. Um, and then it's also the ability to stay within that resilient zone, as you talk about, the ability to stay resilient in the face of increasing levels of stress or trauma or whatever it is you may be going towards. So I think resilience can be both things. It's both that bouncing back, but also staying uh, grounded in the sense, in the in the face of adversity and things of that nature. You know, and I think that, and th- yeah, thank you for that definition. And I think the other aspect that I've been pondering more of late too is um, some people who have come from communities that have been marginalized have shared with me that they don't want to bounce back to where they were before. But exactly. I think that yep. when you, when you um, interweave the idea of post-traumatic growth and what you want to um, decide that you've learned from your lived experience to be able to create a better now and future. That, um, that's what, I, that's what I, I kind of heard what you said. And I think yeah, that's I an important that. thing to kind of to underscore. And so, that. you know, Michael, we've known each other. And I, I was teasing you before we started about, I'm going, gosh, you know, I never read your, your, your uh, resume before, your CV, and you've done so many different things. But, you know, I know for you to do the work that you do, and I know you to be such a kind, generous man, um, could you share a personal story of, of you know, what um, has inspired you of your, you know, in terms of your lived experience to be so passionate about bringing compassion into the world in the way that you do? Uh, yeah, there, there are many different stories, I think. Um, and it's one of those things where when you look back on your life, you're like, oh, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And, oh, that happened for this reason. That happened. So there's many of those. One of the things I will share, though, is um, I, I went into the university and I started studying psychology, and I thought that that would be something that I would want to do. I then kind of fell into a, a bigger cultural narrative about a man's role and business and needing to excel at business to kind of have a sense of worth and things of that nature. So I decided to use my psychology degree. I did, by the way, take go into the business school for one semester. And I said, I want nothing to do with this. If I only have a few years to study, I want to study art and literature and psychology and all of these wonderful things. But in any event, when I graduated, I kind of fell into this mold of, of needing to be this entrepreneur. 
And when I was able to find some success in that, I realized I, my wife and I used to joke, she's a social worker, and my wife and I used to joke, she would say, well, I'm doing something that's really beneficial for the world. And I would say, well, I am too. I'm allowing people to, to pay their bills online. I mean, isn't that convenient? Like, what a, what a great service I'm doing. And, um, but in, instead, actually, I recognized that I was only doing it for money, for status, for all of these things that were these kind of external sources of happiness. And I was actually quite miserable doing it, even though from the outside, it looked like everything was, you know, just as it should be. So you had all the successes in the world and you had the money that you needed, yet there was something missing on the inside. Terrible. And I would, Mm -hmm. I would literally, you know, we would pour ourselves into these transactions. And then when they were done, I would sit and look like stare out into space thinking, is this it? Like, is this why I did all this? And it just didn't feel right. So I very early, I was blessed early in my career to say, I'm getting out of here. I got to do something different. This is not what I want my contribution to the world to be. And, And then in 1999 is when I decided to leave the organization. And then I started the Mythic Imagination Institute, and I went to graduate school, and I did my dissertation, and all these other wonderful things that happened. So you have, um, if you could see him, he has a smile on his face as he's talking about this. So that was the right decision. It sounds like that was that, that was, was the, the right one. Absolutely, the of, right decision that came out of, I imagine, a lot of suffering. It did, it yeah. did, and and a lot of really questioning my purpose, my meaning. Um, yeah, it was a it was a pretty dark place. So. So, um, well, thank you for sharing that story. I don't know if I've heard quite that story about no. about your lived experience. And so, um, I want to, t- you know, kind of segue now and talk maybe a little bit more about CIT. And um, I want to ask you another question. So, you know, why did you choose to emphasize resilience and resilience skills through the CIT? Which I'll, I'll be so, using that acronym instead of saying compassion yes. training every time. Yes, 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 CIT. yes, yes. Okay. Um, so, as as you know, I met you through our dear friend Brendan Ozawa de Silva. Yes, yes. And uh, like many things in my life, I give him credit for uh, <laughs> for the the right decisions I've made. And so he's a dear friend. And when we um, began to start thinking, we were together at Life University. We uh, were co-founders of the Center for Compassion, Integrity, and Secular Ethics, along with several others at the university. And we started thinking about creating a new program. Um, he really, right from the beginning, said, we need to incorporate resiliency skills. And one of the things that he shared, and I know he's talked to you about too, is that we kind of come at this, especially in the in the kind of hype of mindfulness and mindfulness meditation and all these different things, that it's a, a one-size-fits-all solution, that all you need to do is sit quietly, focus on your breath, and then eventually you're going to feel this kind of bliss or you'll feel some sort of happiness. And what he realized from doing the work he was doing is that not everyone can do that. Different people need, as you said, different practices, different avenues. And it was his work. uh, We do a lot of work now together, but uh, in prisons, and it was his work in prisons that really kind of lit up the light bulb is that when you're in a, a, a place where you're, you know, your fight or flight is on, high alert and it's it you're always kind of up in the high zone because of your circumstances just asking someone to sit quietly and close their eyes can be a very threatening thing and 
I have found this, it, it used to be in early days when I was teaching meditation, it would be like, well, you know, something's wrong with this person because they can't really do, everyone should be able to meditate. Look, it's benefited me so much. Why shouldn't it just benefit them? And Brendan helped me by virtue of working with you to, to see that, you know what, it's, there are a set of skills that are really embodied. You know, we, we've, we lose touch with the body so much in, in our culture and through these practices sometimes that really getting ourselves grounded back in the body, understanding sensation, that these are all skills that are, are really uh, incredibly important for people. And now it's, you know, while this kind of started with this experience of working in, in with incarcerated populations, we recognize that this is for everybody. Everybody yeah. needs these. I need these. I mean, we've now, even though we have multiple different kinds of practices in every one of our um each one of our skills, we have at the beginning of every recorded meditation practice and even in the writing exercises, an instruction that before you start, you should either do some grounding, do some resourcing, and that if at any time during the practice you feel dysregulated, you should return to that if you feel comfortable doing that. So it's it's part and parcel of the DNA of every practice because that it's such a kind of a, a core that that strength of resiliency is is such a core of the program now. Well, and you know, when you, as you talk about that, you know, someone um, shared with me recently, reminded me actually of, of um, we did a training at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles a number of years ago, probably seven years ago. And there was uh, a person in the training who said, oh, I realize my body's been talking to me my entire life, but I didn't know how to talk back. Uh, and I thought, what a brilliant statement, because I think that, is, that is what you're doing is you're helping people understand what happens within their body. And if they are, if they do want to journal or they want to do a mindfulness practice, a meditation or prayer, that sometimes what's happening on the inside can take us off that road and bump us off. And if we can get exactly. back on through some simple practices that you just described, that um, then you can continue with your journaling and continue with your mindfulness practice. Because I also want to, um, you know, uh, reinforce with our listeners that mindfulness can be that thing for many people where they can find Absolutely. for the first time in their life, um, you know, a, a sense of calm and peace and it can be so transformative, but like you said, not for everyone. And so that's the exciting part that we can say, Oh, but we also have this. So that one person that you might've thought, Oh, there's something wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with them. There's something exactly. actually right with them, but maybe something happened to them. When we talk about being trauma informed, exactly. that may be that when they close their eyes or even pay attention to their breath, that that reminds them of something that was not so pleasant that happened to them when they were smaller, that actually was connected to being traumatized by something. So that actually becomes a cue that um, sends them into maybe even a traumatic flashback. Yes. So I mean, I know that I've spoken to Brendan Ozawa-Silva. He was on the show earlier um, in last month. So that, that, that component is so important in the work that he does and the work that I do, and certainly now in CIT and how you're bringing it into the world in such a, a wide way. So, you know, another question that um, I'd like to ask you is um, – is that how do you think the resiliency skills, because I know there's so much, you know, focus on being compassionate. How does it cultivate greater compassion and help to um, motivate um, 
us to create a more peaceful and equitable world, which I know that's your vision yeah, and purpose. Uh, great, great, great question. The um, And it's related to the conversation we just had. So first of all, um, if I can be more resilient and I can be a paying attention to what's going on on the inside, and as you said, if I start to feel like I'm getting knocked out, I have the tools to bring myself back. Number one, it can it can give me access to practices that I might not otherwise have access to because of my in, the inability or the feeling I have of, of being knocked up high or knocked down low while I'm trying to do the practice. So knowing that I have that, I can begin a practice using resourcing and it settles my body and mind. It net, then makes me more present to the kinds of practices that we're, we're suggesting people use to cultivate compassion both for themselves and for others and also to create a more equitable world. But the other thing is, is two other components to that. One is by virtue of starting with resiliency skills, we're starting with a strengths-based approach, which you just touched on. Yes. It's not about what's wrong with you. It's about what's right with you. And that is such a powerful way to start a program, especially one where people are going to be examining how they can be kinder to themselves, how they can be more forgiving of others, how could they can be more empathic and more compassionate. All of those things are really important because so often because of our negativity bias, we get caught in this kind of self-critique, self-criticism. And we've seen people as they go through the program return, we, we help people return over and over again to those resiliency skills and that strengths-based approach to talk about this is all, these are all skills we already have. It's about how do you want to build on your strength and in order to cultivate this. this the second thing I'll mention is just that um, when we're cultivating compassion, part of what we're doing is we're opening ourselves up to what's going on in the world. And to, to really have compassion for others, the way we define it in the program is it's the wish to alleviate the suffering or difficulties of another. If I see somebody who is suffering or is in a difficult situation and I start to feel like an, a, a response in my body where my heart starts racing and I start to sweat or I start to get very feelings of anxiety, then oftentimes what will happen is I will turn away from that person in empathic, what's called empathic distress, I will turn away from that person because it's too much for me to bear. Or I may do something in service to them, in air quotes, that's really about alleviating my own distress. So instead, what we help people do is we help them go back to the early skills in the program, which include the, the resourcing and grounding and tracking. And we say to them, when you're experiencing that, maybe you can do some grounding maybe do some resourcing, do, do a little bit of the earlier practices that we do so that you can be present to that suffering. Because if we just turn away from it, then we're never going to have the ability to alleviate it. And then when we, when we move into systems, so that's compassion for others, when we move into systems, it's the same kind of situation where what we want to be able to do is now we're not just looking at the, the difficulties of an individual, we're looking at systemic injustice. We're looking at systems that can feel so overwhelming. How can I how can I be part of a solution for this system? And again, going back to understanding, first of all, that all, all of us have these strengths. We all have the capacity for compassion. We all have the capacity for resilience. And then to be able to, to look at that, those kinds of systemic injustices with courage and strength because you know you have the capacity 
to ground yourself and to stay in the resilient zone. And you have the permission, if it's overwhelming, to turn away when you need to. But well, you know, knowing those skills are so important. Right. And, you know, and as you're talking about this, of course, I'm thinking about what's going on in America today. And I've been, I was involved in another training earlier. I know you're going to another training yeah. after you, we have this conversation. And the topic that's been on many people's minds is what's happening um, in Minnesota um, regarding the, um, the trial of the police officer, um, regarding the, uh, the murder of um, Mr. Floyd. And so as you're talking, I'm thinking about this I'm, because there's been so much suffering. And I have to say for myself included, there are times when I just can't watch the news any longer. I have to, I have to just watch a little bit of it and then I have to turn away. And so what I'm hoping that maybe we can do, we're going to take a short break in a few minutes, is maybe we can bring this, this real life experience that many of us are going through right now and apply what you just said to it, maybe illuminate. How do we, how do we create a better society? How do we um, you know, deal with what you're saying is the structures that existed long before any of us were ever born that we're living with now? And but also the suffering that's palpable to me and really across the board. And but you know what you said about the suffering about turning away? Yeah. I think we're at great risk of that right now because of the oversaturation that's happening probably in every aspect of the media yeah. and how that is being really, I say, embodied in each and every one of us of the fear that I'm, I'm witnessing that my friends of color are sharing with me, as well as um, my own fears yeah. about so many things that are happening in the world and how do we stay um, as compassionate beings? Um, I guess that, that's I'm just an easy um, um, yeah, answer after answer. the break. Exactly, <laughs> right, exactly. An we easy can, answer after the break. We have a couple minutes. We can cover we, that we before the break. Minutes before that happens. But, you know, well, I one of the say, things, yes, well, I was ahead. just going to say is, is as a, maybe a segue, we can return to it after the break, is uh, the, the concept of, of beneficial and, and what we call beneficial and harmful mental states. And um, we'll talk about that after the break, but being able to try to start discerning between those two, uh, when is too much, right? When am I just being bombarded by this news where it's not helpful anymore? It's not beneficial to me. And maybe I'm even a little addicted to it and I need to turn away. It's, it's perfectly legitimate to turn away when you're feeling overwhelmed. And, then, and that's actually beneficial as a way of being able to turn back towards it when we need to. And that's also one of the community resiliency model skills of tracking. Yes. How do we know when it's too much, right? So that exactly. we can actually sense it in our body and know that it's time for us to maybe do something differently. Um, but then, then the question I always have, the next question is, well, well, if, it's, if you're being bombarded and constantly feeling like, oh, I'm getting out of my zone, I mean, you could end up not wanting to engage yeah. And, and yeah. that, to me, is, is the danger. And we're talking about creating a more con- compassionate, equitable world. That's not – disengagement's not going to create that. Not at all. Yeah. And so how do, we, how do we create um, more avenues and more opportunities to cultivate that compassion and to create that equitable society that we so believe is possible, even though I know that for many people and many of our listeners, they may not feel it's very equitable at this moment. So um, we're um, going to be taking our, our, our short break. And when we return, we'll continue our conversation with the very interesting Dr. Um, Michael Carlin, who has a wide breadth of, of, as you can see, 
interests and is really cultivating compassion and ethics really across the globe. And he's going to tell us about the UNESCO project, which I'm very anxious to hear about how that's going in Absolutely. a way that's not just within the United States. So, no, 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 not at all. So I, Michael, that is so exciting. So we'll be back in, in, a, in a few moments and we will talk more with Dr. Michael Carlin Thank about so his work in the world. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine miller Karras book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I'm here with um, Dr. Michael Carlin. We're having a wonderful conversation regarding um, compassion integrity training. And we um, are going to continue our conversation 
um, regarding current events and how do you see the current events of what's happening in America today in relationship to the work that you're doing in the world, Michael? Yeah, so a couple of things. One is we, we talked before the break about this kind of idea of turning away. And, um, and there are times when if you're privileged enough to be able to turn away, right, because we should also embrace the fact and recognize the fact that unfortunately there are those who cannot simply turn away. But if you, if you are privileged enough to be able to turn away, um, then that's okay as a form of kind of self-care. But it's, it's a turning away to turn back towards the issue, right? Because as you said, turning away is not going to actually solve anything. But that's where the self-care, it, one, I haven't really talked a little bit about, CI, or a lot about CIT, but CIT begins with uh, four skills on self-cultivation. We begin uh, seri- uh, skill one, which is where we talk about calming body and mind, and that's where we bring in the CRIM skills. But then we build onto that to where we get to self-compassion. And in self-compassion, these are the skills we need to, to care for the self and be able to be resilient enough to then turn towards others in a whole way and in a, in a compassionate way. And then we move into, into compassion. Um, one of the things that we do is we separate out compassion from wisdom or discernment. So in this case, one of the things that's really interesting or really important, I think, is to be able to cultivate our compassion which is our wish to alleviate the suffering of another, but then recognize that in order to really bring that compassion to full fruition, we need to understand systems. And the situation in in Minneapolis is really a great example of that where we're not dealing with an isolated incident as horrible as it is. That isolated incident is not the whole story. There's a whole system that is in place that is perpetuating that kind of violence. And it's not just a system in place today. It's it's a system that's built on earlier systems. And so until we really appreciate that, the solution I have may not actually solve anything. And so I think when we start to kind of transition from compassion and, into what we call wisdom or discernment in our series three, which is engaging with systems, you begin to see a wider world and you also begin to break it down in such a way that you can see where you can actually have an effect. Part of empathic distress comes with feeling completely overwhelmed. What can I do? There's nothing I can do. It's too big for me. When we break it down into systems, there's kind of a, a dialectic that happens. At first, we think, oh my God, it's so complex. But then we start to break it down and realize there are places where I can engage. We actually have some facilitators in Minneapolis, and we've been talking, and this is an area where we can engage. We can engage even if it's on a one-to-one basis, even if it's just spreading the kind of work that we're doing to a wider and wider circle of people. That's something that I can do that's within my, my realm of possibility. And it's different for everybody. One other thing, since we're talking about this, I really want to emphasize is the first skill that we talk about when you move from self-compassion or the self-cultivation series into relating to others is what we call impartiality and common humanity. It's We're not trying to cultivate forgiveness, gratitude, empathy, and compassion for our circle. We're trying to extend those far beyond our circle. So that the very first thing we do when we begin to look at those things is start break down our bias, break down our natural in-group, out-group bias. These are things that are built on evolutionary foundations they, they have been useful in survival in the past, but they're not useful 
in a world as small as ours where we are all living together. And so really emphasizing uh, breaking down our own implicit bias, enabling us to see that your life is as valuable as my life. The person who lives halfway across the world who I've never even met, guess what? Their life is as valuable as my life and their life is worthy of my compassion, just the same way my own children's or my life is. So really it's important um, that we, 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 we rest the entire program on the foundational pillars of common humanity and interdependence. And everything really comes back to that. You know, as you're speaking, I think the other thing that that comes to mind for me is that um, when we have compassion for other people um, and that my life is is important, your life is important, all of our lives are important, that it does, there's a thread then that connects us. Because sometimes I think what happens as well is people will say, oh, well, that happens there. Oh, I'm in California. That's in Minnesota. That's not here. Right. So that's just there. And so then we can put ourselves in different silos and buckets and not see the interconnectedness of us all, or that there's policies that we have, whether we live here in the United States or we live in another country. And those policies sometimes also, of course, very much so impact systems and then impact individuals. And so you might say, oh, no, that doesn't impact me. Well, it does. So, you know, I think about... um, our Second Amendment, for example, I am not against our Second Amendment at all, but yet I am for reasonable um, uh, background checks and for people who have mental health challenges that they would not be able to to uh, easily get um, firearms that could cause harm to others. So we might think that's not really our problem, but all of it is interconnected. Because when you are an innocent person going to the grocery store or going to work and all of a sudden you become one of those statistics, it's not, it's not a statistic. It's a person with us who's a father, mother, daughter, son, um, who's part of a, a wider community and a family. And yes. so I think, I mean, to me, that's what, what comes to mind because yeah. it's also this other aspect. Yes. Well, we, we do a, a, as part of when we begin to think about interdependence and we're, we're in skill six, where we look at forgiveness and gratitude, we we have people uh, work in teams to draw what we call an interdependence map. So what they'll do is they'll select seemingly a mundane object, like you know my water bottle here that you know I'm drinking a, a, a bottle of water. I might just pick that, and then I start to map on a piece of paper everything and everybody that was necessary for this water bottle to exist. And I, I kid you not, by the time it's done, there are billions of people identified on this on this map, right? Because mm-hmm. who there's a bottle. Someone had to manufacture the bottle. Someone had to source the materials. Somebody had to figure out how to create this label. Somebody had to design the label. They had to they had to go to school to learn how to do many of these things. This bottle had to be transported. And it might be have been on a truck. And if that truck had tires, somebody had to make the tires. Somebody had to invent the tires. Mm-hmm. Somebody had to – it doesn't take long before I can – again, this goes back to the logic, right, common sense. I can use logic to connect this bottle of water to pe- millions and perhaps billions of people I've never, ever met. And without this, those people, I wouldn't be able to sit here right now and, and enjoy this water, which is – grounding me and it's and it's helping nourish me 
And yet, what I what do I normally do? I normally look at this bottle and say, oh, I I bought it with my money from the grocery store, and now I'm going to drink it. It's just me, me, me. But if I recognize that there are billion, and that's just the bottle. That's not the computer. That's not the you know my phone. That's everything is interdependent. And every one of those people, not only do they matter to me in some abstract sense, they support me in, in my daily life, in my flourishing. I'm grateful for them. And so people who take the CIT training and any one of our um, people can just come to your website and anyone in the world can take the training. Um, yep. So you do different exercises so that you can really illuminate how we do have this interdependence in these kinds of exercises. So yes. it's a very dynamic training that's not, it's not only listening, but it's really participating yes. and, and, and really creating your own self-awareness of where you are in the whole scheme exactly. um, of your presence on the planet. I mean, that's what I've gleaned from the program. Not, not surprisingly, you, you summarize it better than I can. So <laughs> well, I that's, don't know if that's true. But, um, but it, so. it, is, it is that sense that we want to not just give receive knowledge, but to also help people attain those critical insights. And then going back to the very start of the program, give them ways of practicing, practicing, practicing. Well, so before we move into the UNESCO project, is there anything more that you'd like to say about CIT to help our listeners understand if they did decide to take the training, what they would be engaged in? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so two things. One is we've we've trained people from all over the world. Uh, over people from over sixty-five countries have participated in the training uh, in the in the kind of standard course, which is the facilitated course. That's different than what I'll tell you about UNESCO. Uh, and we have facilitators in 20 different countries around the world. And if people come to our website, which I can give the address at some point, um, they can come to the website. First of all, you can download all the materials free of charge. And then on there is information about joining a course. We actually have a course coming up in a couple weeks with the Charter for Compassion, who's a, one of our important partners. Um, and then in the course, what you'll experience is some level of received knowledge. So I might say to you, this is what we mean by gratitude. This is how we define it. Here's some of the science of gratitude. And that's all great. Okay, I get that in my head and that may or may not have any impact on me. But then I want you to go through an activity that brings an aha moment where I for myself can say, wow, that's a light bulb going off. And that's like that activity I talked about, the interdependence drawing. We don't go in saying, by the way, a billion people have to you know, help me get this water. Yes. We say, draw a map. And they're like, by the end of it, they're like, oh, my God. And then we, we lead a practice during the, during the session, but then we give people recorded practices, written practices, and then they go home and they take this with them. And, and we always pair people up into, into partners, which we call accountability partners, so to help people practice in between sessions. So. And this, is all online, and this is online, right? They, they, they don't come we, in person. We do in person, but we also do hybrid, which is online via Zoom. We were, as I tell people, we were Zoom before Zoom was cool. Yes. Uh, we started doing trainings online about three years ago already. So, Well, you were the first person that I learned Zoom from because I took your training. So yes, so yes. That was, thank you. Thank that you so wonderful. much letting me have an idea of what that might be like since I live so much in Zoom right now. Exactly, exactly. So, um um, can you tell us the name of the website? I'm going to have you repeat it at the end, but it would probably be good to hear it now as well. Yes, it's Compassion It. So not just compassion, but compassionateintegrity.org. 
Okay. So compassionateintegrity.org. And if you go to that website, you can get all the materials and everything you more than you might need want to know right. about CIT. And I'll have I'll have Dr. Michael Carlin repeat that at the very end of the yes. show as well. So now I really want to hear about the self-directed version of CIT that UNESCO MGIEP. So tell us how it came about. Tell us about it. How exciting. So over to so you. It, it's it's funny because I know that uh, you were at the C Learning launch, right? In yes, India. In India. Well, right after that launch, Brendan and uh, our partner at the Charter for Compassion met with the Mahatma Gandhi Institute for Education and Peace, Education of Peace and Sustainable Development, which is MGIEP. They are a research lab of UNESCO, the United Nations um, uh, cultural organization and education organization. And in that meeting, they said, well, we're looking for a compassion training program. Their model is specifically around wanting to teach mindfulness, empathy, compassion, and critical inquiry. And after that, they turned it over to me and I started talking to them. And essentially, they they came to feel as if this was the best program out there. And they wanted us to start training their youth ambassadors. And their focus is really 18 to 34-year-olds around the world. So we started doing that. We trained youth ambassadors. We were doing all this via Zoom. We went to the first ever World Youth Conference on Kindness and trained youth ambassadors there. And it was going really, really well. And then the director looked at me and said, by the way, we want this to go to like hundreds of thousands of people. Like we're, we're targeting universities in India that have 400,000 students. How many facilitators do you need to train them? And I just looked and said, uh, not the number we have, nor I think <laughs> we'll ever have, you know, that's going to be a long-term project. So he said, could you make this a self-directed program that would have support of facilitators if necessary, but largely could be self-directed. So we said yes. Uh, and long story short, 18 months later in January, we launched it. We have a completely self-directed version of the course where somebody can go from the foundational concepts all the way through the end of skill 10 in 14 individual modules each module takes anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on how the person engages with it. It's got all of those components I mentioned where we give receive knowledge, there's activities to help you get critical insight. You and have to practices. be connected to UNESCO in order to take advantage of this self-directed course? No. Anyone can go there. If you go to, this is another website, but if you go to mgiep.unesco.org slash CIT, you will find an entire website that's run by UNESCO that is dedicated to the course, and you can access it free of charge through UNESCO. It's open to anybody. Um, they are in the future going to be offering it specifically through university campuses and looking at working with youth NGOs and teacher networks. And then we are also working um, at bringing it to, to market, so to speak, through our community. And uh, so we'll have it in multiple different places. We're, we're in the midst right now, actually, of translating it into Spanish. We have a partner in, uh, again, through the Charter for Compassion, we have a partnership with Encuentro uh, Mundial Valores, which is the worldwide uh, human values. I, I'm maybe translating that a little bit poorly, but, and the Human Value Center. And they are, they've launched it with 3,000 people in uh, Monterey, Mexico, and 
planned to launch with another 10,000 people in, in May. And so what's What's wow. beautiful about this is the scale we can achieve, right? Is that the scalability is is incredible, and I'm I'm also just also kind of um, embracing this concept right now because I hadn't realized this part is that the community resiliency model skills is a part of this. Absolutely, and it's so that means there part. are thousands more people who are going to be receiving the community resiliency model skills as part of this self directed course. Absolutely. And it's it's amazing. Again, whether somebody is coming to us from India, we have we're we're running a training right we just concluded a training for South Asia that included uh several people from Myanmar in the midst of all that's happening in Myanmar. And I can't tell you the amount of times people say these skills, all of them, but they come back to the crim skills over and over again. They've helped me deal with literally a military overthrow of the government of not knowing if they would even have internet access to join our course or not from when we had to accelerate the ending of the course because they knew next week there would be no internet anymore and they're using these skills of grounding and resourcing and tracking the concept of the resilient zone to understand what's going on in their body to help regulate themselves i just can't tell you the impact that you're having uh as you already know but yeah, so our, our goal is touched. to take this and scale this to places and people that otherwise wouldn't have access to it. Well, you know, one of the things I'm also thinking, you know, that next week is Earth Day. And as you're saying this, um, that means we also have a cadre of people trained in these skills all over the world. And one of the things I've been so concerned about, and some of you may know that I'm a member of the International Transformation Resilience Coalition, I'm a founding member, is that, you know, how do we deal with the human toll of climate change? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really, all of a sudden, the light bulb went on in me right now, that aha moment. This is one of the ways um, that we can help people when they're dealing with changing climates, the, you know, droughts, um, losing their livestock because of the climate change that... Um, as you said, we can't oftentimes change some of those forces of nature or whether there's a coup in your country, but that if we have these skills, then we can manage ourselves and perhaps be part of the system change and solutions in the future that can make a more compassionate and equitable society. I mean, that's just that impact of that, Michael, is really, really impacting me at this moment. Mm. Um, well, well, and um, one, if I can say one more yes, thing please, on that is that… Please do. These skills, I think, can help people in two ways. One is it helps you manage through these things that you don't control. But it also, when you talk about climate change, when I start to see the whole system and I recognize going back to my water bottle again, that there are likely people in these climate-affected countries and places in the world that I didn't care about, right? It's all about my consumption and it's not affecting me. Well, guess what? Even if it's not affecting me the way I conceptualize it, when I begin to expand my consciousness to recognize that everybody on the planet is part of me, then that can maybe fundamentally shift whether I care about fixing climate change, right? Because I recognize it affects everybody. Right. So just the same, applying these same concepts to what we talked about what's happening in Minnesota right now. 
Exactly. I mean, there's so many different things that happen in the world that we can take this to and look at it from these lenses. That could be, you know, I know that, Michael, you're an optimistic person, and I tend to be so too, that it could possibly lead. I I know, you know, we also appreciate the Dalai Lama, that there will be uh, an an appreciation of the scalability of the potential of compassion ethics all over the world. Well, you know, as we're, boy, this time has gone by so fast. We have just a few minutes left. So is there a parting thought that you would like to say to leave with our audience today? Yeah, I think maybe it's that change is possible, right? I think so. we, We have a couple of, I think, mistaken assumptions. One is is that people are either compassionate or they're not, they're forgiving or they're not, or that they have some sort of set level and that you can't expand upon that. And I think the science is bearing out the fact that you you absolutely, with practice, with education, you can expand on those. And that's then fundamental to changing culture and to shifting towards a more compassionate and just world. And I think that's why scale is so important to us and this idea mm-hmm. of scale and practice, scale and practice, because we want to hit a tipping point. It doesn't take everybody. It just takes enough. And right. you can really shift consciousness when you do that. So that's really my hope and prayer. And, and I'm optimistic because I know we can do it, right? People do change. They can change. And if we do that, we can. if we hit enough people, we're going to change the world. Well, it sounds like you're already changing the world. And I'm so glad to have been a, a partner along the way with you, um, Michael Carlin. And and also, I will say, I'll do a call out to Brendan Ozawa-Silva, too, and yes, meeting both should. of you. Yes, you um, since he's a, impacted both of our lives in a significant Absolutely. way. Um, so, um, can you say again the website so that people know how they can get in touch with you? Yes, so it's compassionate. C-O-M-P-A-S-S-I-O-N-A-T-E, integrity, I-N-T-E-G-R-I-T-Y, dot org, O-R-G. I can't believe I just did that. So compassionateintegrity.org. You can also send an email to uh, info at compassionateintegrity.org if you have a specific question or want us to follow up on something. Um, So, Michael Carlin, thank you so much for being present with me today. and. Uh, And to share your wisdom with our audience. And I want to just remind our our listeners that, you know, as you journey through your life this week, um, you know, try to think about also what else is true about your life. And I know that we're all challenged by the windstorms of life. And for some of us, this is a very, um, it's a tenuous week in terms of the outcomes of the trial. Mm. Um, And, I just think what's happening in our country. I also, you know, want to, my next door neighbor is a police officer, someone who I really appreciate and care about. And I know that there are many police officers who um, are really um, people with integrity and that um, they suffer too. And I'm that's not to say that I don't want to minimize the suffering that's been caused at the hands of law enforcement at the same time. But I also, I guess, maybe being compassionate to all you know, what happens when we do that. But to remember what else is true this week as you go through your your uh, time. And I also want to let you know that next week, 
um, for the acknowledgement of Earth Day, I have Dr. Bob Doppelt, who's a leading expert on the psychological impact of climate change. And the person who created the International Transformation Resilience Coalition will be my guest. So blessings to all of you. Blessings to you, Michael Carlin, and all the work that you do in the world. And I know that we will cross paths again, if not in in Atlanta. Yes. (laughs) Over a cup of coffee, it will be on Zoom. Yes. You're long overdue for a hug. I know. That was my last trip, you know. I I I left on the 13th. Yes. So You you might have been my last hug before the lockdown. That's true. Oh, my gosh. There you go. Well, I hope to have another one again. So blessings again. so, so much. Yes. Thank you, listeners. And thank you to our sponsor, the Trauma Resource Institute. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller-Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com.